This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. This is Radio Motherboard. Today, we are going to be talking about copyright. Uh, I'm Jason Kebler. I'm a staff writer here. I have Adrian. Hello. Sarah. Hi. And Parker. Hi. Uh, Parker and Sarah are both guests. Um, I'm going to let them kind of introduce themselves and, and, you know, tell us why they're here. So uh, Sarah and I uh, write a uh, copyright newsletter that has jokes in it uh, called Five Useful Articles. Um, It is... Why is it called Five Useful Articles? (laughs) Useful Articles is itself a copyright joke. that's we try to do five. Yeah, it's it's really. We named it before we knew that like people were going to subscribe to it. Um, and uh, this and the, is an excellent newsletter, by the way. Yeah, I so recommend. the feedback we get, and I don't want to toot our own horn here, is that like people think it's a lot more interesting and funny than they expected copyright could be. So <laughs> that's why I wanted to do a podcast about copyright because you think piracy kind of interesting. It gets a lot of attention, but everything else, you know, sounds kind of boring, but it's not. It's not boring at all. And why is it not boring? Copyright is a train wreck. That's, like, that's <laughs> what's great about it. It is, it is basically, you've got a law that in the 70s, it was already kind of not perfect for the situation. And then now it's just a disaster. It's great. It's like an absurdist, like dystopian nightmare. It's so it's so over the top. It's also really funny because you get like a lot of characters. So like the the kinds of people who really care about copyright sometimes are just like really odd characters. So and then you know what's great is like you also get like musicians, celebrities, artists, um, just like an incredible like revolving cast of characters. That that is a, a funny thing about doing. So since we do the newsletter, I follow copyright news like really closely, and. Uh, and the story, I mean, the, the people that you get in the stories, it's not people in suits. It's like you get, uh, I mean, everything has, a, has an information aspect to it. And like the legal way that you interact with information is through copyright. And so like, you know, on a given week, we'll do a picture that is that, you know, do, do they make a fair use of the picture? And what the the subject of the photo will be something really interesting. And so there's this weird angle where it's not technically part of the story, but the fact that it's uh, that it's something unusual is just, it gives color to it. I can think of like five really interesting like copyright cases off the top of my head just from the last year. You have that monkey who took a picture of himself. Yep. That's a weird one. That's a really weird it's, one. 
Yes, we won't get too far into it right now, but basically there was a photographer who had set up a, a camera in the jungle and the monkey took the photo, basically. And that I think that really that really demonstrates why why the law is so weird because it all turns on on like things that you know to a normal human being shouldn't matter like okay where were his hands at the time (laughs) like was the photographer we call him the photographer but like was he did he press the button and it's like oh well the the outcome of you know all of these business decisions like whether the 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 news agency goes after people or, or wikipedia has to take the photo down it all depends on something that seems totally arbitrary like whose finger was closest to the button at the time that and so so you have these weird things and like and on, on one hand it's it's very rule based and you look and you're like, okay, that, that is that's internally consistent. But on the other hand it's like and we make decisions based on this, based on what, <laughs> what you know, a group of lawyers said in the seventies. I mean millions of dollars are like changed hands due to things like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you have like I mean, this is there are those weird cases, but then there are like you know, music copyright cases where we're talking about tens of millions of dollars at stake. And that's, and it's, and it's still, it's not by any logic that's any more sound than the weird, you know, monkey finger press. Mm -hmm. It's, it's still just, just weird, weird decision-making processes. Yeah. It doesn't seem any closer to a solution. I wanted to just like test the sound here because we're in this kind of like bootleg setup here in the office today. Is it working? I guess we have to talk, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It works great. Okay, good. Perfect. Awesome. Adrian can hear us. Um, so to get into, like, I guess we can't cover all of copyright law in, in this podcast, or Sadly. or can we? <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> How fast are we allowed to talk? We can talk. This is the first 28-hour motherboard <laughs> podcast, and it's just us speaking uninterrupted. Yes, you should pee now, maybe grab something to eat, and then strap in. Uh, no, but there was a very weird case uh, a couple weeks ago um, that Parker, I think, will love to talk about. Um, SpaceX flew a NASA satellite into orbit. Uh, NASA paid SpaceX to do it, and SpaceX published photos from it. And whose, whose photos are those? I mean, we paid for, we being the taxpayers of the United States, paid for that mission, but SpaceX is a private company and they took the photos. So why does this matter and like why should we care yeah again it's one of those distinctions that seems arbitrary where if you are an employee of the federal government like you've got an employment contract then everything that you do in the course of your work is in the public domain and that you know completely unrestricted and we don't we don't talk about the public domain too often but it's it's you know no restrictions and that's how it is with most nasa photos is that you can you can use them for literally whatever you want um and, uh, and, you know, as a, as a nerd, I like to, I, I saw an old ad the other day and the ad set was for a chocolate bar. And so the chocolate bar is out of this world and it had a picture of, you know, of space. It's out of the, this world and it was a NASA photo and they didn't have to clear that or anything. It's just, um, and yeah, but if you're, if you've got a contract, if you're not an employee, then it's not public domain necessarily. And so it's just this weird thing where we sort of lucked into every photo that's of space happens to be accessible to everyone, except now maybe it won't be. And, and you know, maybe it, if for each photo, it, it, it may not matter that much. But, but this fact that uh, we've had this resource of, of basically all the pictures of the Earth uh, collectively 
are are freely accessible and that could go away. And so it's these weird things where the other the other kind of weird copyright thing is that the uh, the terms are really really long. It'll last for ninety five years if SpaceX has copyright. So it's a decision that that you know they're 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 doing rocket science like they're doing a lot of hard things and so they shouldn't have to think about the copyright on the photos but it's a decision that will matter you know eight decades from now and and we'll have to you know the, presumably Sarah and I will still be writing the newsletter we might even still be recording this podcast um, and, uh, and you'll be listening uh, and and someone will have to piece together okay which spacecraft was the camera on? Like, what did the contract say between them? And, you know, what, like, who pressed, did, was the, was the camera, like, automatically taking photos? Or was it, you know, was, was somebody pressing a button on Earth? And these sorts of things that, that shouldn't matter, like, could ultimately decide important things. I think that's, like, the general takeaway here is that copyright is, like, really, really confusing. And it's, like, kind of case by case. There's... Lots goes into it, and if you don't know, you could be liable. You could end up, you know, losing a lot of money. Yeah, and this is actually, like, a serious problem. So, like, the NASA, like, space photos thing, is it's kind of like, you know, a... it's a it's a photogenic issue because you understand space photographs um and like i'm glad that it's gotten pick up and people are talking about it but this has been like a problem that's existed for like a long time um you know anything that's a federal work isn't subject to copyright but because you have like a lot more like contractors and stuff now it totally now that whole status depends on the contract between like the contractor and the U.S. government, and that we're not privy to the the contents of those contracts, and so you have basically all, all these research papers um, and just you know long manuals and things like that that were produced by contractors and we don't and th- but they're like federal resources there's stuff about like you know marshlands and like um yeah no like the department of energy so like the impact of like um uh, of like wind energy on like this area like so it's it's all stuff that the federal government is putting out but they're putting it out through a contractor's labor so you don't know what the copyright status on that is and actually like if you go and like you try to clear it with the government no one knows yeah like and, a, in a lot of cases so it's like it's actually like this is like a problem and to speak to to jason's point uh the the other thing that happened is that the 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 penalties for infringing copyright got ratcheted way up so it's you know it can be a hundred and fifty thousand dollars per work that you infringe and so like again you have to talk about a century of what are you going to do with this and it's like the the yeah the manual for the space shuttle like if we don't know then maybe you don't archive it because it could cost you you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars. or if there are three editions it could be half a million dollars and so no one archives it and then it just disappears and that that sort of thing is like yeah. the thing that is crazy to me is that it's no longer clear whose interests are being served by these <laughs> laws. Like, you, I mean, it's kind of serving the interests of... Kind like, of, but it just, yeah. it's this runaway thing. I mean, so, yeah, sometimes it serves, crazy. like, the interests of, like, the rec- record industry and, like, the movie industry, and sometimes it's, like, obvious like that, but it's, at this point, it's like a beast, right? Like, it's a, the, it's biting the hand that fed it, and it's kind of, it's, it's out of control. So, I mean, why are the laws so confusing? Is it because you have these different interests throughout time and you kind of have, like, piecemeal solutions to, like, specific problems that can then be 
extrapolated like very broadly or is it just yeah well you have a lot of things where where really like you look at this section of the law and you're and you go like that seems to make very little sense and then yeah you can trace it back and you go like oh there was one person in the room when they were discussing this who like lobbied for that because he or she had one client that needed that and that like affects you, you know maybe in the 70s this affected uh, you know whoever copies things which was hard to do in the 70s but now it's like everybody who uses a computer has to deal with the fallout of that one guy's client like requesting such and such and uh and with this law you never have the people who like it's never been the case that you have like the internet users and the people who uh and now have to interact with copyright all the time in the room at all so you have so it's like this weird corporate law it's like finance law or something where it's where it's just it's supposed to affect a handful of major players applied to everybody and it's as if you know like i mean I don't think this would be funny, but if, if we had to all follow like, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley, like, like banking laws for ourselves for like, you know, you know, should we split dinner right now? And it's like, oh, well, we have to fill out the forms in triplicate. And that, that wouldn't stand, but for some reason, that's what we have with copyright. So is there hope here? I mean, is there, <laughs> is there, is there copyright reform? I, you don't really hear much about it. You hear always about the court cases. You know, there's this blurred lines thing going on right now, which... I won't get into, but <laughs> um, what what's the what's going to happen? Anything? I they, mean, is it continue being a mess? Well, they, they talk about reform, and they, I mean, you know, it's it's like I I think about the last the last major reform getting passed in '76, and it's like wow, that must have been it took them like decades to to actually get done. And our Congress right now does nothing. Like we can't, you know, you can't like name a bridge through Congress, like, cause everything, cause they just like disagree on everything. And so, yeah, there's an effort. They, they have this thing that they trot out called the next great copyright act where they've been holding hearings, uh, in, in the house for, for two years now. And they hold a hearing and they get everyone in a room and say that piracy is bad. And then like in, scary. yeah, no, it's, 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 it would be scary if it were not ex like so excruciatingly boring and this boring is and obviously bound to go nowhere. Like yeah. it would be scary if it were, <laughs> if it weren't all kind of, you know, a little silly, it's a little silly. But then it's this boring thing that, that really does have an effect on like what we're allowed to do and how we use, you know, our computers and the internet. I mean, like if they're, if the next great copyright act actually ever happens and you know, some people, um, some people actually do think that like the next great copyright act sort of derailed earnest copyright reform efforts because suddenly, you know, all these people were on the same page about a couple things. Um, like, you know, it was immediately after Aaron Swartz uh, passed away and um, people were talking about like the DMCA exemption for cell phones. So like there was suddenly, it was copyright reform was much more like I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
in the news and people were thinking about it again. And then they trot out the next great copyright act, which is like 500 things, which like, you know, and a lot of them people just are, I don't care about this. This is like reforming music licensing. Like, yeah, like, which is really interesting, but maybe like not as interesting as like, is it illegal to jailbreak your phone? Like, yeah. Yeah, I, f I feel like maybe when we talk about how boring uh, copyright reform is, we, like, we undersell that I promise the newsletter is funny. But <laughs> there is actually a good way to, to, to talk about this, but it's not the way I that mean, politicians if, if, do. If you're, if you're possibly like trying to make the issue boring, there's a way to make it boring. <laughs> like it's like, you know, and then at this point, then you get people saying like, that there's, there's something sinister going on, which I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but the way things have played out, that's, what people are jumping to now. Right. Like, well, it's just sort of all-encompassing. So there's certainly very boring, like, procedural parts to it. And then there's, like, space. Who owns this? Yeah. And, like, you know, can Robin Thicke, like, sample this song or apologize if I got that, like, that case wrong? I did not read the details okay. of it. That's basically right. Yeah. Not sampled, but... No, it's, it's not. It's... it's similar it's, yeah it's, yeah it's, can it's you make a song similar. that sounds like sounds like yeah. marvin gay yeah when we cut the podcast we have to cut in some of the clips some blurred lines yeah just yeah or just blurred lines and then see what happens with copyright <laughs> um so i think one thing that's clear about copyright is that uh besides sarah parker people just don't really understand how to interpret it like for example this uh story that you did this week about citizen four and I don't know if this was a genuine misunderstanding or not, but there was a court case, and do you want to just kind of... Yes, it's a very it? insane court case on many levels. Um, there is a guy in Kansas who's a retired naval officer who decided to sue Edward Snowden and Laura Poitras, uh, who, who made Citizen Four, trying to prevent the release of Citizen Four because it contains classified information. And so he sued not only to stop the film from being released after it was already released, he also asked for billions of dollars for, for the US government uh, <laughs> to make up for everything that Snowden leaked, all the, all the harms from, from that. And in trying to stop the film from being released, Laura Poitras then entered two copies of the film into, as evidence, they actually, she actually, or her lawyers rather. DVDs of the film. DVDs of the <laughs> film, yes. She actually delivered copies of the film to, uh, to the lawyer, the, the plaintiff's lawyer, who then said that she didn't watch it, she locked it away in her room, in her <laughs> office, and that it remains there unwatched. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's in over 150 theaters. It's, you know, this was a few weeks before the Oscars, but it was nominated for an Oscar. It was screened on HBO. It's everywhere. As if, and the lawyer's acting like it's like it's the room, and and you know, if she watches it, she'll she'll uh, or the ring. Sorry, seven days and like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an extremely fun court case. Out yeah, choosing him crawling out of the television. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the copyright issue at hand here is um, there's a website called Cryptome. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, there's a website called Cryptome, and after it was entered as evidence, um, they basically posted a link to uh, to Citizen Four to download it, saying it's entered as evidence in a federal case. It's now public domain, meaning anyone can do anything with it. This is not accurate. <laughs> 
correct? Yeah. No, that's not accurate. I mean, like, if you think about it, uh, Blurred Lines is evidence in the Blurred Lines case. That doesn't mean Blurred Lines is now out of copyright. Um, actually, uh, Stuart Baker, formerly of the NSA, um, uh, filed his own affidavit in in the in this in this very misguided case about Citizen Four, and um, as part of his affidavit, he has a bunch of like copies of like articles that he's written, um, like for the Washington Post, and it's not like that's out of copy right now. Um, and I I think one of the things that like crypto misunderstood is that crypto was like oh uh laura poitras wanted this sealed um but the the judge wouldn't seal it so that now it's in the public domain but that's it was in fact the other way around laura poitras didn't entered it into evidence and didn't care whether or not it was sealed because it's like she's like it's my movie there's nothing wrong with this movie um and uh and then the other side is like no it has to be under seal it's like it's full of state secrets and we can't possibly like have this just out there as an exhibit and um but yeah the judge was like not having that so wait so she entered it into evidence or the plaintiff's Sorry, uh, Laura Poitras' defendants entered as evidence. Okay. So what? When? What? What? What is the public domain? When does thing? When do things become public domain? Well, so like. When does Citizen Four become public domain? So very, very, very long <laughs> so it time after Laura Poitras dies. Well, unless it. So so the it, the it answer to this is it depends. Yes, yeah. it depends on the contracts. So movies are really like kind of difficult because if you think about it. There's a lot of creators involved in a movie. So, um, so for instance, like a book, if it's written by one person, there's only one creator. So, like it's kind of obvious who, where the copyright automatically goes, and then from there you trace whether it was transferred or whether the author was like working for someone else while doing it. But then with a movie, you've got like, um, you've got just a lot of copyrighted material coming together all at once. So usually you want your contracts all airtight. Um, but we're assuming it's I mean, copyright the, Laura Poitras. Yeah, I mean, the, the short answer to this is is that it's like probably a century from now or something like that, mm-hmm. that this will be in the public domain. Um, and that is like the way that the, the law has also changed in the last like century. And so, uh, so like nothing enters the public domain right now because because the copyright terms have been extended like through now. It's easier to see if you've got like a diagram that shows. Um, but the, so, so the short, an- I, I promised a short answer and then I did not deliver a short answer. Um, it's really weird and confusing. And so the, the truth is like it will enter eventually maybe um, and, it, and it almost certainly will not be through uh, being entered as evidence. I would kind of, there's part of me that would like a, a public domain film to win an Oscar. I think like that would be a nice nice gesture, but I don't think it happened this year. <laughs> yeah. So interesting question about that. I, I spoke to one lawyer and he said, no, you can't download Citizen Four now and watch it and think that it, it's all, it's cool. But can you now download Citizen Four, watch it, then write a friend of the court like memorandum and file it in that case uh, and say that you downloaded it for like legal analysis reasons? I mean, like, you're probably better off renting it. Um, but <laughs> I, no, no le- this, there's no legal advice. Yeah, this is not right. legal advice. This is not legal advice. Yes. Not, no one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if you maybe there was the motherboard podcast for your legal advice. I I wouldn't do it. That's like 
I love fair use, but this is like I I wouldn't go to bat for this. Like this is not. There was a there was a case where a guy made a documentary about the film rating system that the MPAA, which is just you know like a like the the movie industry group, uh, voluntarily runs the rating system. It's not a government thing or anything. Um, and he submitted a copy of the film. He was very critical, and he and the, the process was very secretive, and he submitted a copy of the film to get rated, like, to, like, sort of to see what they did. And he got a call the next day from someone in, like, the he sent it to the you know, Hollywood office, and someone in the D.C. office called him, and they said, you know, I've just watched your film. He said, wait, how have you watched my film? And he said, yeah, well, I mean, we, like, you sent it to the Hollywood office, and we made a copy, and we, and... And they've got a very good business reason to do this, right? They're doing it for the film. But the guy was, the, the director was like, that's not, you can't do, like, you're the MPAA. You can't infringe my copyright like that. And I think in that case, he was, you know, making a, making a point and, and saying, like, look at how hypocritical the MPAA is. Um, I think the same kind of principle holds where, like, oh, maybe there's a case for it. But, like, you're probably better off. I think it's on HBO tomorrow, right? Like. Just watch I believe it there. it's on Monday, yeah. but probably, yeah, it's probably playing a few times. But I mean, the fact that we can kind of even have this discussion and that it's not clear, um, you know, there's fair use, there's all these different reasons that you can use a copyright work for your own purposes. That's why, that's one of the reasons why it's so interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's, and like, so, so writing, watching the film and writing a brief is sort of a hard call, but you can imagine if you did a project that was like, analyzing the the time between docket filings in across mm-hmm. many cases and so you had to download all of the dockets to see you know some some kind of research project where that is like that would be a, an easier thing to, to defend easier, as fair it use it would be much easier to defend as fair use i mean i i'm actually having a funny like flashback to the google books litigation at the trust where um actually the attorneys um were in like a, a depot together like this is in the, in the discovery phase and the attorneys for the authors guild and they're they're the ones who are suing over the copyright and all these um books that were scanned during the google books uh scanning project and the the attorneys who are like you know mad about the books getting scanned bring in these copies of this book like photocopies um, of, a, of someone's book as like evidence, like in discovery, and they're like gonna pass them out, and then the um, wow. the other side gets like really snippy with them and is like, are these photocopies of a book that is in copyright that is currently <laughs> available in bookstores for sale? And uh, and then they like they get into like this argument where they're like sort of dancing around the question of whether or not they just infringed copyright and whether it's it's fair use to co- like scan a book, right? I mean, it was like, it's, you know, in the course of litigation, you want to like pass information around and right. Like, but like, obviously because of the side that they had taken and the arguments that they had made, now they were in like this really embarrassing position. They were like, okay, fine. We're going to take these copies. We're going to take them, take them to the shredder gonna shred them and we won't have looked at them is everyone happy with that and then like and then the other side is like so you're saying if no one looks at it that it's not copyright infringement and, um, but that was actually that was that was their argument in the case because they had like scanned these books but they hadn't made the whole book available and um the author's guild was saying like well you still scanned the whole book 
Um, so that's, it's still, you know, it's still infringement, like, of the whole book. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it was really, like, this beautiful, ironic moment. But, yeah. I mean, it's just... I mean, they, they didn't, it just was just, like, a, a snippy argument. It's, like, buried in the transcripts. Like, they just got into the snippy little argument and then... Uh, the Google at oh, almost all the book happened. scanning cases, yeah. uh, the, the book scanners win. That, that is... is over and over found to be fair use even though it's i mean it this takes a long thing. time that's the thing like if if google had chosen not to if the book scanners had chosen not to fight it like this would like have yeah like we might just have some really terrible precedent on our on our hands just because like it was a lot of effort like they were like they wanted to go to the mattresses over this yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like the to, it's sort of like the the rocket science question where it's you know Google endeavors to do this thing where they scan million you know they go into to hundreds of libraries and scan millions of books and put all of them on you know this really complex thing and the thing that might stop them is a law from the seventies and it's and it's like oh yeah I guess you have to and then you you're like into the sub clauses and you're trying to find out whether. Like one, ju- you can convince one judge that that they're on the the right side of the law. It's just this weird. It's it seems like a weird impediment to something that. And actually, in Google Books, that's ultimately what the judge said is like this is such an amazing resource. Mm-hmm. How could it be that that a law that's designed to, you know, promote the progress of science and useful arts would prohibit this? And and it, it doesn't. Okay, well, we're kind of running out of time here. Um, I know we promised like 12 hours worth of copyright talk, but um, we unfortunately don't have the room that long. (laughs) But trust us, we could talk that long if we wanted to. Anyways, um, we may explore some more copyright in the future, but I just want to thank everyone for listening and everyone for being here. This was very fun. Thank you guys so much for coming. Thank you guys. Yes. Until next time, which hopefully will be next week and not like a month from now, like this one took, but goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.